it, if you if you remember ever being a student and uh, the teacher left the classroom for whatever reason, said, hey, here's this assignment I'm putting up on the board. Do this assignment. I'll be back. Uh, what kind of student were you? Right. Were you the student that kind of goofed off or were you the student that uh, got to work so that when this when the teacher came back, uh, you had work to show for it. Right. Uh, th that's that's a, a common theme in our lives. Uh, your boss goes on a work trip, comes back and wants to see if the tasks were done that were supposed to be uh, done. I'm going to pause a second. Can everyone hear me all right? We're good? Okay. All right. I see consternation on some faces. I see texting. I was like, wait, maybe, maybe they don't hear me. All right. All good. Um, uh, your father or your mother may have at some point given you a chore or a task to do and said, I'll be back. Uh, there's only two real, really two ways for that appearance of your parent, your boss, your teacher to come back in the classroom. You're either proud of your work or ashamed that you didn't do it. And what John is trying to encourage his readers in 1 John, uh, the end of chapter 2 and going into chapter 3, is uh, this idea of Christ's return. It can be scary or it can be hopeful. It can be a, a time of rejoicing and confidence or it can be shameful. There's really only two ways to respond to Christ's ultimate return. So let's look at that together in 1 John chapter 2, right at the end of chapter 2 there. And he says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So you see the two responses there, right? Uh, in, at Christ's return, at his appearing, at his coming. Uh, one response could be to shrink from him in a fearful response uh, where there's shame at his coming. Or we can have confidence, right? We get together and we sing right as best as we can with the zoom feature or whatever but we're we're celebrating this resurrection because we're also anticipating this return and we're anticipating that return with joy and confidence not shrinking at it not scared of it why uh, because god has done something in your life believer such that you can wait for his return with joy and with confidence and not and not fear and so John is not, he, he's not saying, he's not really saying, which student are you? The student that's wor that works or the student that goofs off when the teacher comes back is in shame. Actually, he's saying, if you are a believer, I know that you're reading this and he calls them his little children, right? He's saying, you should be confident at the return because you're not like those other students. You're not like the other people, right? You, you actually, something has happened inside you that you shouldn't shrink in his coming. And so you might look back at your week, your last month, your last year, and you might be disappointed in a lack of spiritual growth. You might be disappointed that you've, that you've goofed off here and there. But you'll notice that what he pins the confidence on is not uh, what percentage of your minutes, your hours, your days have been filled with no mistakes. 
but rather he pins the confidence on your belonging to a family. You belong to a family. You bear a last name. Look at how he uh, ties it in verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, if God is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So if God is righteous and you've been born of God, then you will be righteous. So you see his argument here is not uh, the, the people that are going to make it are the people that are more righteous than everybody else. Or the people that, that are confident at Christ's return are the people that out-practice out righteousness of everyone else. He's saying the people that practice righteousness, practice righteousness, even if not perfectly, they practice righteousness to begin with because they've experienced a birth. Right? They're born into a family. And so that God is their father in a way, there's a sense in which everyone in the world is a, is a child of God because they've been created by God, but not everyone gets to call God Father in the way that believers do because they've been born. And so in verse 29, he says, if you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Interesting that he doesn't say everyone who's been born of him practices righteousness, which is true. Well, what he's trying to do is allow you to see the things that are good in your life, the things that you are doing. You, you are better than you were yesterday. You are more mature than you were last year, right? If you're a believer, you've been growing. And even if you're not perfect, even if you feel down and out sometimes about slip-ups and failures, you can look at, a, at how you were before you met Christ, and you can see that you're more mature now. And so he's turning it and saying, not just if you look at birth, you should, you should see righteousness, but he's saying, look at the righteousness, you know you've been born. And that's how you know you can be confident at Christ's return. Uh, John is so fatherly. Uh, he's so, um, he, he's comforting in the way he writes this letter, where he has hard things to say. There's an in and there's an out. There's people who shrink in fear at his coming, and there's people who are confident. But he's not, he's not trying to use that as a belt to whip you. He's trying to use that as a way to encourage you. You are in. You are a believer. And you should be confident at his coming. You should sing those songs with joy. Because he has done something in you. He has birthed you. He has brought you into the family by uh, birthing you into that family. That's a work of God that he's done. And that's how we know we're in true fellowship with him. Uh, John keeps ap applying all these different signs. How do you know you're really a family member? How do you know you're really in? Well, it's obedience to Christ. It's loving others. It's, um, it's adopting this righteousness that God births in you. It's, it's confessing that Christ really is who the Bible says that he is. And so he shows all these different signs, not to prove that you're out, although that, that it does work that way, but to, to assure you that you're in. I mean, look at the language he uses there. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Right? You, you can be sure of it. And so, brother, sister, uh, on the days where you wonder if you're really a believer or not, I mean, there's a sense in which we really have to examine our hearts. But if the way you examine that is by going, man, yesterday I really yelled at my child in a way that just was really 
I can't believe that came out of me. I must not be a Christian. That, that He's saying you've been born, right? And the fact that you even feel bad about that, you confess and you repent and you grow. So there's, there's things happening there. So one of the ways you know that you're in the family, the father's family, is that you act like the father, right? Obviously, none of us do that perfectly, but there's a sense in which we do that. So his exhortation is to stick to that. Verse 28, the way he starts the whole thing off, now little children abide in him. Some of your translations might say remain in him, right? It's to dwell in him, to stick to it, to continue in it. It's this present ongoing thing that uh, is abiding. And we talked a little bit about that uh, before when he used, he's been using this term. And so his encouragement is to abide in him, not to go, well, I guess I'm in the family. Uh, you know, I can live however I want. No, you want to live like the father. And you, and you uh, do that by remaining in Christ, by striving in it. On Good Friday, we talked about the metaphor of the race, right? It's a race. You run hard, you strive, and you push. But you're not a spectator. You're in the race. You've been brought into this thing. And, and John is saying it's because God has birthed you into the family. And that's encouraging. That should be encouraging to us. And especially because the, the basis of our abiding, the, the way we're able to abide is not confidence in our own work, but confidence in being born of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Right? He, he's not like, and so we hope we are. And so we'll see what happens at the, at the coming. Right? We don't, we don't wait until Christ's return. Kind of like, oh, man, let's see. Is my name in the book? No, like you should know with confidence that your name is in the book. And there are strains of Christianity that will tell you, you shouldn't be confident. That's cocky. How can you be so arrogant to believe that you for sure uh, can be confident at his return? And your response should be, no, it would only be arrogant if I thought uh, that my confidence had anything to do with my ability to get myself in. Right? I'm confident because I'm brought in by his grace. I'm confident because God did this birth me because he set his love upon me. And so I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in what God has done. It's God who birthed us in verse 29. And he's the one that has shown such great love, verse 1, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Right? We are children. We don't hope to be children someday, maybe one time. We are now. If we've confessed Christ and accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, and Christ has gone before us through his death and resurrection and ascension to bring us into relationship with the Father. And so you've heard uh, expressions like, uh, like father, like son, or someone's told you, boy, like an aunt has come over and said, wow, you are your mother. You know, um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. These kind of phrases, you know, we just recognize uh, that, try as you might, there are things about you that are very much like your parents. Because by virtue of being born of them, biologically, there are things that, there are traits that you pick up 
being in the home, you pick them up. So sometimes it's by nurture. A lot of times it's by nature. You're, you're kind of that way because your parents are kind of that way. And some of those things are great. Some of those things are things we need to work on. Uh, but in this case, that's Paul, John's point in verse 29. If he's righteous, you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, uh, like father, like child, right? We live a certain way because we've been born. We don't live a certain way so that we're, hope, we're hoping to be born, right? And we don't want to flip that. I'm going to live righteously so that I hopefully get to be in the family. He's saying, because you're in the family, you get to live righteously. And that living, that change that's been happening inside you. Uh, in fact, uh, those of us, this is actually a case in point, those of us who have picked up things from our families, from our parents, by nurture or nature that aren't very Christ-like, uh, but you've been working on it and you're less that way than you were before. Well, that's, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's pointing to. There's a righteousness that you're practicing that shows you you're in the family because you're growing in your uh, Christ-likeness. You're growing in your, uh, in your imitation of Christ, who, of course, is the exact representation of the Father. So family resemblance is one of the ways you're sure. Right? Family resemblance is one of the ways that you know that you could be confident in Christ's return. And it's an extraordinary display of love. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be a very extraordinary display of love, right? Because he should do that. Why wouldn't he give you right to be called a child of God? Right? He created you. He put you in this world. Why shouldn't he invite you into his family? You should just automatically be a part of his family. Well, obviously not. He's talked before about God is light and we're in darkness. And of course we can't be in light. There's no darkness in him at all. And so a transformation has to take place for us to be in the light. And the reason why that transfer takes place is not because we earn the right to be called children, but because he's loved us in such grand fashion that we're called children. Actually, the word there for what kind if you're using the ESV and it says, what kind of love? Uh, that's not used very often in the New Testament. But one of the places, uh, I think the one place where it's used the same way John's using it here is in Mark 13. And uh, the disciple goes un unnamed uh, uh, to protect the guilty. But uh, the, the disciple, one of the disciples asked Jesus, look at these marvelous buildings. Look at these uh, wonderful stones that are used to build uh, these these buildings, right? And, and he's just marveling at the architecture. Uh, if you've ever, you know, walked downtown and just saw a, a high rise, uh, a building, a skyscraper, or if you've ever gone to ancient places and seen like the Colosseum or uh, temples that are, you know, you know, they didn't have cats and bulldozers, you know, machines. And you're like, man, how did they do this by hand? It is so amazing. It's that kind of same thing that the being awestruck by something so grand that it's hard for your mind to uh, grasp the greatness of it. And that's the same word that John uses here. What kind of love? How otherworldly, how extraordinary is this love that God, even though we don't deserve it, even though we've not earned the place in the home, he calls us children of God. 
and so we are. Why? Because he says so. Right, right. He, he births you in the family. You're in the family by his love and by his grace. And so your confidence is not your performance. Your confidence is in your belonging. And that belonging shows up in performance. Uh, he can, you can see that you've been practicing righteousness in your life. And that shows you that you are imitating Christ and you are being the way the Father wants you to be. And so this family resemblance explains why it's so hard to be a Christian in this world. If you feel odd, you feel like an alien, yeah, that's normal. It's kind of like uh, when you were a kid and you thought everybody did things your family's way, right? You thought everyone took the shoes off at the door. You thought everyone put plastic on the couch. You know, you thought everybody, you know, uh, had a bedtime snack. I don't know, whatever your customs are or things in the home. And then you go for your first sleepover at a friend's house. And they're wearing shoes on the carpet. They're eating on the couch, no plastic. They've never heard of a midnight snack. That's unhealthy. Um, you know, you, you, it's, you enjoy a meal with them and they're using spices and herbs you've never eaten before and it's strange. That's what it's like. This, you know, you're living in a world that is a different family. Or you're living in a world that doesn't have your father's values. You're living in a world that's at enmity with your father. And so that does make it strange. Conversely, uh, you know, I don't know if we have any newcomers on this call, but, uh, you know, typically our church Sundays, we see people coming in that maybe aren't as familiar with Christianity. And it might seem weird, the singing, the long exposition or, or uh, explanation of a passage of scripture, the readings, the confession, assurance, you know, what is that confession, assurance? A lot of these, some of the words we use might be strange to you. Some of the customs might be strange to you, uh, the way we uh, talk and the way we sing, but it should be a little strange. It would be of no service to you if we modeled church service after the way the world does things, right? It's supposed to feel alien. We're welcoming you, uh, but yeah, we take our shoes off here, or yeah, we, this is the kind of stuff we eat. Uh, yeah, this is our bedtime. This is how we do things in a home. We do things according to scripture. Uh, you understand that's a metaphor. I'm not saying there's anything holy about taking shoes off at, at home. Um, but uh, if you're not a believer or you're kind of new to the church scene and things feel a little weird, that's okay. Uh, that would be true of anything, right? If you show up to, uh, you know, uh, a, a gym and you're like, I'm not used to working out this way. Uh, you show up to a martial arts place and you say you want to learn this and they're teaching you stuff and you're like, I've never, this is weird. I've never done these kind of things before. Yeah, anything you join up to that you're not used to is going to be new. And so the, the reason why it's strange, the world is strange to the Christian and the Christians are strange to the world is because we are of a different family and we're hanging out with a different family when we're in the world. But we're not supposed to be like them. We're not supposed to go, oh, wait, this is normal. No, it's not normal. It just seems normal because everyone's doing it. But what's normal is the Father's values, what the Father calls righteousness. And so we need to continue to abide in that. And you can be assured that as you abide in that, as your taste for God's values develop and you grow in your distaste of the world's values, that's a sign that you're in the family. And that should be an encouragement 
to you. So those of us who are in Christ, abiding in him, we're practicing righteousness, uh, and we are in God's family. That means that this return that we're longing for, that we're looking for, looking forward to, uh, is going to be a grand family reunion. If you look at verses uh, 2 and following, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Um, and, and so this, this long-awaited return of Jesus Christ, and it has been a, a long time, right? Almost 2,000 years. But as I explained before in the last sermon, it's, it's kind of like the last inning. It's just over when it's over. It's not a, t a countdown. And so we're looking still to this return of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, God is bringing more people into his family. That's why missionaries are sent out. That's why churches are being planted. That's why our responsibility is to evangelize, to uh, help everyone know, hey, the door to the ark is still open. You can still, before the flood hits, you can still be ready for the flood. Come on in. This is not exclusive in the sense that uh, no one is invited. We're, we're in the mode of invitation now. But one day that door will close. And when it does, those who've come into the ark, so to speak, those who've come into the family, have been born into the family by confessing Christ, uh, there, there will be a change that happens when that happens. And that reunion means that there's perfection for all of God's children. And so there's a now aspect to it and a will be aspect to it now and will be. He says, we're God's children, verse 2, we are God's children now. But there's still something we're waiting for, right? So earlier when I said, hey, I know you're not practicing righteous, righteousness perfectly, it doesn't necessarily mean you're out. If you care about righteousness, you fall, you get back up. You fall in this race, you stumble, but you get back up and you keep striving in the race. Falling doesn't mean you're out. Stop, stop running. That's different. But how do I know that? Well, he's, he makes that really plain here. We're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, right? So when he appears, we will be like him and we shall see because we shall see him as he is. And so we're not fully like him now, right? We're children now, but we're not fully like him. We'll be fully like him later. That's progress. That's a process, what we call sanctification, a process of being made holy. So what I'm not saying is, hey, after this call, you have certain sins, I have certain sins. Who cares as long as we're in? Well, obviously we know that's not what John is saying. We're supposed to be like the Father and practice righteousness. What I am saying is, uh, don't be so disheartened by your traits that don't match up to the father's perfection now that you feel like the entire thing is a wash. Well, it's not. God is still working on you. He's still got work to complete in you. And so while we are uh, not perfect yet, we will be perfect. Then we still strive in perfection. We still grow in perfection. He calls it purification in verse three and everyone who thus hopes in him, Right? So there's a future. We're hoping for this future final perfection 
But as we're hoping for that future, he goes back to the now. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies now, purifies himself or herself as he is pure. So you, you see both of those things happening. We will be perfectly pure later when we see him. And upon seeing him, we'll be made perfectly pure. But as we wait in that hope, we now work in purification. We now grow in that. So there's a future purification and there's a present perfecting that's happening. He's not trying to let us off the hook. He agrees with the author of Hebrews. Let us cast aside every weight and every sin that weighs us down and entangles us. Let's cast those off. But that's a continuing thing. And so we can be confident about Christ's return, CFC, because God perfects his children. He does this work. He brought you into this family. He's working on you in your practice of righteousness. Uh, and as we practice righteousness, I keep saying practicing righteousness. That's from verse 29, if we missed it. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so uh, my exhortation to you uh, is this is a really good time to work on practicing righteousness, right? If we can't do it in isolation, we're not going to do it when we're back to commuting, we're back to clocking in, we're back to running around. Uh, the kids are back to all their sports, all their programs. You're back to all of your clubs and all of the things that you show up to and drive around uh, to get to. Uh, passing each other. Days go by. You haven't even seen the kids. You haven't even seen your spouse. You're just so busy. Okay. This is a good time to start practicing some of the things that maybe we've been shelving for a long time. What Christians for a long time have called the positive attempt to grow in Christ. In other words, negative is stop sinning. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Which is great. Uh, but there needs to be the positive aspect of it in your life. And it's been called spiritual disciplines. The things that you should be doing that nurture you to grow in him. And so spending time in the word, spending time praying. Maybe you spend zero time praying. How about three minutes? You know, three minutes to start your day. Three minutes to end your day. Something is better than nothing. If you do three minutes, but before you had zero, that's, that's growth, right? That's growth. Uh, read one verse. If you're reading no scripture, read one verse. Uh, you know, consider signing up for the CFC course, uh, which I don't mind plugging. It's not like I get paid extra. I want, I want you in there because I want you to grow, right? I want you to learn how to read God's word. Um, uh, we would have heard a lot of laughter on that one if everyone was muted, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I want you to uh, not view yourself as kind of someone who's unable to, pro to progress in spiritual disciplines. It's because sometimes we think spiritual disciplines are for like the elders or people that have been running this race for a long time, but uh, it's for you. It's for your, your growth. It's for your purification. And so John has this real, uh, you can do it-ness uh, to, to what he's writing, not because of your strength, but if God has grafted you into this family, if God has birthed you into this family, uh, you're channeling uh, John, uh, Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus when Nicodemus said, well, how is this supposed to work? And Jesus says, you're, you have to be born again. He doesn't mean go back in time and be born physically again. He means another birth. 
to be born of the spirit. And if you're born of the spirit, then you grow and you adopt uh, spiritual disciplines that help you grow. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about uh, uh, the spiritual discipline of singing. Um, and I know it's really hard for a lot of us to sing in our homes. We're not used to singing. We're, we're used to singing in front of our spouses, but with a lot of other voices kind of drowning our, our, our maybe less than perfect voices out. And it's hard sitting on a couch. I was thinking about Acts 16. And you remember when the, the, when the uh, disciples are uh, thrown in jail and they start singing, right? They start singing and the guards hear it. Now, I don't know if they were, felt awkward in front of each other singing. I don't know if they were hitting all the right notes. It's not like they had a CD track to follow. They couldn't just hit play on a YouTube Sovereign Grace video and kind of follow along. But their voices are echoing against the bars and the, and the stone walls. And it was a witness to the, uh, the, the soldiers and the prison guards. And there's something sweet about the ability to sing uh, and not only singing if you're in a humongous stadium where everyone else drowns you out, but to just kind of own the, own the crackling voice and, and sing. Um, and this is a time where maybe that's exposed a little bit, right? Uh, and so reading the Bible, praying the Bible, singing the Bible together. I want to encourage those of you who are uh, dads or, or even moms, uh, if the dad's kind of checked out, I mean, ideally the dad's leading this, but that's not always going to be the case. Uh, practice family devotions. And you might be like, what's a family devotion? Well, what, what we're encouraging you to do, to sing, to pray, to read the Bible, do that with the family. Because your kids are going to grow up one day, leave the house and look back and like, it wasn't modeled for them. And so I'm going to tell you right now, even for a pastor, it's really strange to gather around the table or to gather everyone around in the living room and sit on the couch and open up the word and kids are distracted and the little kids are throwing stuff and, you know, the baby's drooling and the dog is barking to be let out and there's all kinds of stuff going on and I get it. But this is a good time to start getting serious about practicing righteousness in ways that maybe we weren't before, right? Uh, not to prove that we should be in, but rather to show that we're in. And this is what the family of God looks like. Yeah, it's weird to sing. If I weren't a believer, I wouldn't sing these songs, but we're, there's, these are like family anthems, right? It's weird to pray, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, tell your kids, yeah, I close my eyes. Sometimes I start falling asleep, I'm tired. Uh, but you wake up and and pray a little more, you know. Um, yeah, I didn't understand the Bible at all before, but let's let's take it slow. How about this verse? How about a psalm? And and start walking them through Scripture together in your homes, and use the time in your homes to uh, to not allow the spiritual growth of your families to be completely dependent on what happens on Sundays. Sunday should be a boon. Sunday should be a boost. But we should, be, we should be intentional throughout the week about our spiritual growth. And if you're the only one in your home that's a believer, that's okay. Then try to find time for yourself to practice some spiritual disciplines, practicing righteousness, and think about the things that you can be doing that demonstrate the love of God in your life as God defines it. And finally, before we, uh, before we close here, um, when we talk about God as a father, 
I think that's really difficult for a lot of us who didn't have good fathers as a model. And your father may have been abusive. Your father may have been not actively abusive, but sort of passively neglectful. Didn't spend a lot of time with you. Didn't lavish love upon you in, in obvious ways. Um, and that makes it harder to, to view God as, as a father. But uh, I think scripture, uh, the authors of scripture, Jesus himself, he knows there's bad fathers. He knows there's fathers that aren't so great, but he still teaches us to pray our father in heaven. Our father who's different. He's a heavenly father. Hallowed be his name, right? He, he bears a perfect name. He's a perfect father. And so those of you who are dads now, now is the time to be a little bit more like our heavenly father, allow scripture to, to, to define that. And as we think about God bringing us into this family, allow scripture to define what a good father looks like, even if we haven't had the greatest models in front of us. So I want to encourage you to think about the love of God centered in the cross of Jesus Christ, the kind of father that would send Jesus Christ to die, but to not stay dead, but to defeat death by rising from the tomb and then ascending to the Father so that by the Holy Spirit, we can be changed and transformed and practice righteousness. He is a caring God. And as we saw on Good Friday, yes, he disciplines sometimes. He disciplines because he loves us and wants us to run this race. He doesn't discipline us because he wants us to quit. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't have limited space in the ark. He's, he's not trying to you know, uh, limit this thing. He wants, he wants us to understand that his love is what motivates uh, the work that he does on our behalf. And so as we lean into God, as we abide in him, we recognize that we are uh, thankful for his love and confident in the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he set his love upon us and brought us into his family, giving us the right to be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, what a... What a wonderful, extraordinary, spectacular display of love that you've shown us in the cross, in the empty tomb, in Jesus Christ sitting at your side, reigning and bringing others uh, each day into this family. And we look forward to the day where we get to, in confidence, uh, celebrate your appearing and finally be changed fully uh, to be like Christ. But even now, Lord, purify us. Make us better. Help us to lay aside the things that don't look like you and to embrace the things that do. Help us to adopt your values and to grow in them. Help us to be uh, a witness to a watching world, uh, a strange world that we are aliens in, and allow us to demonstrate by your love and your light that there is hope for this world. And there is hope uh, even when things crumble around us, even when we feel like we're surrounded by the signs of being in the last days. Well, we are, but we don't shrink in fear. We don't grow in anxiety. We grow in our confidence. These are just signs that your appearing is nearer than it was before. And we're not afraid of your appearing. We love it. We long for it. We pray for it. Jesus, come. And we know at that time we will be fully changed, fully freed from all the sin that besets us, weighs us down, and entangles us.
God, we pray that even now you would allow us to grow and mature and see the changes that you're making in our lives. And as we see those changes, that we would be confident and sure that we are of the family of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.